I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined not only by Brian Joyner, but Matt Collins as well, the regular crew. Um, you can find both of these guys on Twitter at, at MattRYCollins and Brian at, at Brian Joyner, Brian with a Y, uh, the correct way as he puts it. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, guys. Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you, Jake. It's something. Do you know what's special about this edition of the podcast, guys? Um, nothing. Mm. Jake, good Jake, guess. What's, good guess. Jake, what's special about it, Jake? It's episode sixty, episode six zero. So we've hit another landmark, which I think is pretty cool. Um, also, for everybody out there who has been listening to us on all your different devices uh, over the the years following this podcast. Um, we are now available on every service. Uh, we are on iTunes, we are on Stitcher, we are back on everything. So you can just search for the Red Seat Podcast there uh, and subscribe to our show. So that is all sorted out. Next step, we are going to try and get on Spotify. But now that you guys can get that, uh, that's a huge weight off our back. So I'm happy about that. We're going to start off, though, by talking about Mookie. Uh, Mookie has just uh, exchanged arbitration figures with the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Mookie's figure that he put forward was $10.5 million. The Red Sox put forward $7.5 million, uh, and they are going to trial. So he is the only one that's actually going to an arbitration trial. Um, Matt, I'm going to go to you first on this. What was your initial reaction to that uh, news? Surprise. Um, this just doesn't happen with the Red Sox. 
Um, I honestly don't know in the last time a good player went to arbitration, or like a very good player. Uh, Fernando Abad went last year. Before that, I think it was Rolando Orojo in like 2002. So this just doesn't usually happen with them. Um, so yeah, I just I didn't really see this coming at all. Brian, um, thinking about the these numbers that have been exchanged here, um, the team and the player are clearly far apart, $3 million far apart, and it seems like, hey, it's no big deal. Just give your best player $3 million, but why on earth would the Red Sox not want to cave into his demands here? I mean, I think we were talking about this before the show. I think that everything that is happening um, with regard to player salaries right now is being driven by a shift in uh, the economic realities of the game. And I'm sure, since we were talking about it before, we're going to get into it. But, um, you know, there are teams going to arbitration over matters of $200,000. This is just what people do. I'm, because of the trends in baseball, I'm not surprised about this at all. Uh, I would be surprised if their team won this one frankly um i don't know if that's you know if that has any basis in reality but it seems like they should lose um you tell me you think so i i mean i'm far from an expert on this but it seems like the people who know more than me seem to lean towards the red sox winning this arbitration is such bullshit like it's all based on stupid counting stats and awards and I don't know. It seems like the Red Sox are going to win. Yeah, Which is... explains why they're doing it, I guess. You know, they think they're going to win. It saves them a lot of money over the next few years because I mean, this is the baseline for his next two years of arbitration too. So starting out $3 million lower is going to save them a lot of money as because if he wins an MVP or something, he's not going to go up to, say, 20. He'll go up to maybe $15 million or something like that. So that's why they're doing it. Now, whether or not you think they should do it over something like that is a different discussion. But I think that's the biggest reason. So, so this is interesting, though, because they did pay Mookie the second um, – I believe it was in your article you wrote that it was the second – largest contract ever given out to a pre-arbitration player 950,000 yeah, is that correct yeah I yeah. think yeah I think Chris Bryan is the only one who got a higher one I might be wrong about that but I believe it right. was Chris Bryant and it, and it seems just kind of odd that the team would be willing to do that but then be so particular about this arbitration case because Mookie Betts is going to be the best player on the Red Sox throughout his arbitration years that's probably um, not too debatable at this point so why are they sweating, you know, potentially paying him, I don't know, an additional 10 or $15 million over the life of his arbitration years, which if it was up to them, they'd buy out anyways by signing him to a long-term contract. What's, what's holding the team back? The luxury tax. Teams are way too afraid of luxury tax, or they're using it as a convenient excuse to not pay as much as they used to. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, it's just a weird situation. Do you think it's going to affect um, the relationship that Mookie and the Red Sox have when it comes to signing a contract? I know in your article you said no, but, I mean, it seems kind of like 
there could be some ill will there, especially if this turns into a drawn out arbitration hearing. Uh, no, I don't think I don't think there's any indication that uh, Mookie is feeling any ill will towards the team. I mean, I think he knows that this is the process, and I think his agent knows that this is the process. So, I mean, as long as the Red Sox don't like over the top trash him in the hearing, then. I don't think so. I mean, you're not you're not getting a hometown discount from them. If you were hoping for that, then you're going to be disappointed. But if they're willing to pay the market rate, then he should stay here for a long time. Brian, as the certified old in the group, do you remember anything like this happening? By the way, happy birthday, Brian. You're recently 40. Happy birthday, bud. Yeah, very recently. Um, but thank you. Uh, I mean, this this. Yeah, I mean it's. I've certainly players on teams where they, with whom they seem to have a good relationship, have had sort of strange relationships before. I, I just generally, I think that in the general case, the economics of baseball are shifting. Um, I think Matt is right that it's less. It's more that the three million dollars uh, sets a new baseline. Um, than probably anything else. Um, and the other part about just with Mookie, Mookie specifically in the Red Sox, I think that any worry you'd have about how the relationship with the team is going to uh, go will have already, like, they're already operating from purely business camps. I don't know why it would be any worse from here on out. I mean, it seems very, um, maybe not cordial, but it just seems very rational on both sides and will likely continue to be. Um, and as Matt said, up until the point where it becomes reasonable, uh, feasible and possible to offer him money and if he has a chance to take it from the Red Sox or other places, I don't see anything that's happened now. And I don't, you know, I don't suspect there will be, I certainly hope there won't be something in the future to preclude it. I think that maybe not specifically, but just in general, it's part of a reason why uh, John Farrell was let go just to have a clubhouse that is, um, Maybe not specifically related to the shifting economics of baseball, but the clubhouse is a, you know, close place. So I think that um, I expect Mookie's relationship with the team, whatever you mean by the team, uh, to generally be pretty healthy. Yeah, so I think I agree with you guys. And just to wrap up this point, I'm also on on board with the fact that this probably isn't going to affect things too much long term. Um, the Red Sox are going to keep their best player in, in, unless something catastrophic happens uh, in this relationship or financially, but it, it just it seems too too likely. This is the guy they want to lock up, and I'm sure they'll get it done, but just an odd thing uh, in an offseason with, with very little news that we're actually talking about arbitration hearings and having a prominent player involved in them, but uh, I think it's time for our weekly or biweekly checkup in this time. Uh, on the J.D. Martinez thing, uh, J.D. Martinez continues to hold out. 
he has reportedly said that he and his agent Scott Boris are uh, going to continue to hold out all the way to spring training uh, if need be. So this could draw out for a while. And while this has happened, Jay Bruce has signed with the Mets. He was one of the backup options that we have discussed. So yet another one of those is off the board. Uh, and in smaller news, Addison Reed, uh, reliever with the Red Sox, signed with the Minnesota Twins. So um, both those things, uh, you know, not net positives for the Red Sox. The Red Sox are still in a holding pattern. I mean, are, are, do we really believe this is going to go all the way to spring training with J.D. Martinez? That's relatively unprecedented for Red Sox free agents. This is weird. This this whole offseason has been unprecedented. Yeah. I mean, nothing's going to surprise me at this point. Yeah, we're just in totally uncharted territory. So I don't, you know, I don't know how, how it's going to play out or when it's going to play out. You know, the baseline for me for late moves that aren't spring training moves was the A-Rod deal, which I remember was on Valentine's Day. So, I mean, that and that was weird. But now it's like pretty much everybody. Uh, so hopefully we get some resolution by then. I, I, I got to feel like at some point something has to break. And I guess my question is, will one thing break and then everything will follow or will it just be a slow drip? And I, I have no idea because, you know, we expected it to – we expected something to be happening by now, and just it's, it's not. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's no point in even guessing anymore at what's going to happen. We've been wrong too many times. It's it's just such a weird off season, and one of the things that I've been thinking about lately, as we you know suffer through this off season with no action, is maybe this is a particularly flawed free agent class, and we all know that it's not next year's free agent class, and it's not the worst that we've seen, but it's also not a great one. Um, if you look at all the players that have big names that haven't signed yet, you Darvish, uh, 31 years old, dealt with a lot of injury issues. Eric Hosmer, 28 years old, relatively young for a free agent, but has been very inconsistent over his career. Um, J.D. Martinez was you know, let loose by the, the Astros uh, and became very good late in his career, sort of a Jose Bautista type thing for him. Um, and they all expect big money long-term deals in all these players you could find some warts with. And, and certainly you can find warts with players in normal years, but I'm wondering if this particular class has more warts than some other classes we've seen in the past. I don't buy it. I don't uh, buy it either. Uh, go ahead, man. Well, we were before the show. We were talking about Jeff Passan's uh, article that he released today about all this, and he mentioned that point that people have been making. And last year was maybe worse, maybe about the same. And we had Encarnacion, Suspedes, uh, Turner, Jansen, Chapman, Fowler. I mean, those weren't difference makers either but they didn't really i mean they weren't waiting until february to sign so there's something different going on this year yeah it certainly yeah. looks that way yeah jake and i think that next year's class is like the the class of um 2000 the a-rod class that's like those are those are the exceptions this is not the exception 
it's it's definitely weird. It's going to be something that we need to monitor too. I I don't think we're going to really get a snapshot of how the landscape of baseball is shifting because like you said, Brian, that class next year, everybody's going to be lining up to throw money at those guys for the most part. Hopefully. So I don't know. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know either, but it would really surprise me. You know, if Manny Machado is not signed by mid-January next year, or Bryce Harper still not signed by mid-January. I think honestly, they'll, no, I think they'll sign, but I don't know how many teams are going to be like we hear that there's so many teams saving money for next year, but I kind of feel like it's going to be the same four teams, three or four, five teams that are always involved and everybody else is going to be sitting on the sidelines. Something's got to give. That's for damn sure. But um, let's get to actual baseball, guys, because we've been discussing this terribly slow offseason. But we actually did have some news um, over this past week. Uh, Garrett Cole was reportedly traded from the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates to the Houston Astros. Uh, then that deal was reportedly not happening, only to happen a few days later uh, to the Houston Astros. So he is an Astro now. The package was very underwhelming um, for him. Um, Garrett Cole goes to the Houston Astros, as I said, um, which strengthens their uh, rotation. But the important thing there is that I didn't say he went to the the uh, the, the Yankees. Uh, which is a team that he was rumored to uh, be uh, headed to a few different times. It seemed like Clint Frazier or or something was going to be going back um, for that piece, and it almost seemed like a done deal about two weeks ago. Um, I can't figure out whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing that Garrett Cole wasn't signed to the Yankees, and here's what I mean by that. Garrett Cole looks like a pitcher who could really get beat up in the AL East, and I certainly wouldn't be scared about going against Garrett Cole uh, every five days if I was the Red Sox playing in his division. Also, it would take some assets away from the Yankees who are very rich in assets right now and prevent them from doing other moves. The flip side of that is Garrett Cole has tons of talent. He's still a young guy and could turn things around and be a pretty good pitcher. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Brian, what was your initial reaction to this? Good thing he didn't go to the Yankees or bad thing because he strengthens Houston? I'm going to reach to the phone and strangle you for even asking this question. It's good he didn't go to the Yankees. He's good at baseball. We don't want the good players on the Yankees. And they can. He's pretty good. And the problem is not, um, you know, he's not uh, Chris Sale, okay? But the problem is the, you know, just having him slide into a Yankees rotation that uh, like is pretty good and uh, just upping the baseline for them to then pile more talent on top of it's, it's better. Now the, he's going to the bet. He's going to the world series champions. So that's not great either, but that will just kick the can down, you know, the road. we have to see him less. I, you know, he's not, he, I think what you are getting at is maybe a difference between his name value, such as it is, and his actual value, but he's still good, and I don't want him on the Yankees. Matt? Yeah, agree. Pretty much all around. I think the Yankees have a better rotation than a lot of people give him credit for, and Garrett Cole would probably be what their fourth starter so that's, three or four yeah that's pretty that's pretty fucking good 
and I'm glad that's not the world I'm living in. It's the problem, a... Jake, is that I forgot they had Sonny Gray, which means they effectively got Garrett, Garrett Cole. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that's the thing. Sonny Gray came in, and he wasn't all that impressive for the Yankees. And I get that guys like that are going to beat up against bad teams. You know, over the course of a year, they, they're they both guys who log a lot of innings as well. But uh, when you look at Garrett Cole, he's he's a guy that gave up a lot of home runs at PNC. And moving to, you know, um, an AL East ballpark and facing better lineups on a consistent basis, I just I wouldn't be that worried about it. And if it depletes the Yankees' stock of prospects at all, I mean— isn't there some positives to be found in that? I think he's gonna. I mean, a lot of people have pointed this out, but he's uh, like maybe the biggest fastball starter in baseball, or he's up there. And he's got really good secondaries. So if he gets a coaching staff to get him to move away from the fastball a little bit or work in a two seamer instead of just pounding that four seamer, then we might see a better Garrett Cole. Um, so I, I get what you're saying. He's hasn't been, especially last year, he hasn't been that great over the last few years, but we've also seen him be very good right. in 2015 and he's 27 and he's a former number one overall pick. So plus it's the Yankees, you know, he'd click and turn into an ace as soon as he got there. Yeah. He'd probably is, he, is he an example of like the, you know, the Pittsburgh pitching has so many success stories. Is he one that it yeah, doesn't go weird. totally the other way? Is sort of like his skill set doesn't fit maybe with what um, Serge is doing there. Yeah, like yeah. how they get how they you know rehabilitate people. Yeah, um, that's kind of why I don't totally buy the bounce back or the improvement from him because you would think the Pirates would be the team to unlock that. But I mean, just watching him, you could see that the dude has talent. It's so frustrating watching him, actually, because you're absolutely right, Matt. He has some of the best secondaries in baseball. Like, there's a reason why he was that 1-1. He looked like an ace uh, through and through, one of the one of the most surefire uh, future aces that we've seen in a while in the minor leagues. And it, it, it can be frustrating to watch the player. So um, I don't know, though. The, I, I, I totally get what you guys are saying, but there's just part of me that's like, all right, now that the Yankees didn't waste bullets on Cole, they're just going to use those bullets on someone else who's going to be more of an impact player down the road. Maybe that's just the eternal pessimist Bostonian thing uh, clicking in with me that somehow I'm thinking that a player not going to the Yankees is still a net negative for us. Well, I think they're going to say No, you just want to... Yeah, that I mean, that has always seemed like a perfect fit. I mean, yeah, I'm just waiting for it to happen at this point. There's they're gonna sign who? Darvish. Ugh. Supposedly they have to cut payroll to do so, which is absurd, coming from the Yankees. But I think it's gonna happen. All right, well let's let's move on from from the Garrett Cole stuff. I I hope that uh, Darvish does not sign with the Yankees. I'm sure everybody hopes they don't. Uh, sign him but um, prospect lists we have had a bunch of prospect lists comes out come out recently uh, we had the um, Sox prospects does their prospect list uh, every month uh, baseball america released theirs uh, baseball prospectus just released theirs and minor league ball was the most recent uh, which is the sb nation site uh, that does prospects as well uh, we did have a consensus number one and two prospect overall 
in those publications, and that was Jay Groom, number one, and Michael Chavis, number two. So no surprises there. But other than that, what were some of the discrepancies that really surprised you guys? I'll start with you, Matt. Um, I mean, the biggest surprise to me was definitely seeing Lorenzo Cedrola make a top ten list. He was number nine on Baseball Prospectus's list. Um, I actually like Cedrola a lot, or as much as I can for somebody that I haven't seen play. But I like him because I like really fast players who play good defense and hit line drives. I think, just aesthetically speaking, that's my favorite kind of baseball player, and that's what he is. I never really thought he would be somebody to make a top 10 list. So I talked to uh, Craig Goldstein, who is the minor league editor at BP, and his response was basically that it says more about the Red Sox system than it does about Cedrola, which I think is probably fair. Yeah, I, I think that is probably fair. Cedrola is a, a decent player, but certainly not anybody you'd think would would sniff the Red Sox top 10 at any point. I totally agree with you. I was shocked when I saw the baseball prospectus list. I think the other one that shocked me was how high baseball prospectus was on Josh Ockamy as well. And this also might be a reflection of the system as well. Baseball prospectus had him at five. Uh, Sox prospects has him at six, so they have him pretty high. But baseball America didn't even rank him. Um, And minor league ball had him all the way down at 13. And I have heard some things about him not being overly aggressive at the plate and uh, some of that um, plate discipline that we've seen seen in the minor leagues actually be a negative. So I am uh, wondering what you guys thought of Akami's placement. I like Akami. I like him way more than Sam Travis. I'll say that. Um, I think he's definitely top 10 in the system. I'd probably have him a little lower than five, but there's a lot of power there. And I think we're going to learn a lot in a full season in Double A because that uh, patience you were talking about has a lot to do with just bad pitchers missing the plate, and he's not going to swing at bad pitches. So as he starts to face better pitchers, I think we'll learn a lot about him. Yeah, Double A seems to be where we do learn what type of a player guys are as they start to see better breaking pitches and better locations. So that's absolutely true. Um, Brian, what did you think about these lists? Were there any big surprises for you? Standouts either too high, too low? As you know, I am getting up to speed on the prospect lists. But I I will say this, that having done research for a uh, dynasty draft that I'm currently uh, undergoing with some other people on this phone call. Um, Cedrola was one where like, I hadn't even, uh, you know, heard of him in, in terms of cursory research. Um, and then I saw him on BP's list and it, uh, piqued my interest. So got my out on him. Um, and I guess for me as someone who is a little bit less, um, uh, has been less engaged with this, I'm not surprised to hear what Matt said about Acme, because Travis, even though he's played, um, I guess the ceiling is supposed to, not supposedly that high. Um, because if it was, he would be higher up the list. So uh, I'm just sort of preparing myself for Sam Travis to be a pass-through player at this point. Um, Join the dark yeah. side. Yeah. 
no, it's no secret I am no fan at all of Sam Travis. I definitely like him better than both of you guys do. I like the I, I'm a hit tool guy, so I, I think if you have a good hit tool that you basically buy yourself more time to I see, see if other things can click. And and he does have a good hit tool. Yeah, he's a first baseman though. Yeah. I'd like to see some power. Yeah. How's Blake Whitehart doing, Jake? <laughs> oh come on. You don't want to ruin this podcast already. Yeah. Um, so, but the other thing that I noticed when looking at these lists, um, there was a clear one and two, but there was also a clear three and four. And I think there is a sizable gap between both one and two and three and four, and then the rest of the list. And I think it goes Jay Grom, Michael Chavis, huge gap, Brian Mata, Tanner Hoke, huge gap, everybody else in the system. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, uh, for sure. It's it's interesting that some people like Hauk more than Mata, and some people like Mata more than Hauk too, because Hauk is the college guy. Hauk is the guy that has electric stuff, more traditional stuff, um, big sinker, um, profiles as either a starter if things break right for him or a late inning arm. Um, Mata is kind of that guy who could be a number three starter, could not make it to the show um, because of the fact that you know, his stuff has been playing up, and he's still extremely young, but these guys are very different pitchers. So I'm wondering, um, I'll go with you first, Matt. Which of these two guys do you prefer? Which profile do you like better? Oh, uh, I don't know. I could, I would probably change my answer every day. <laughs> right right now, I'll say Hulk. I think he has more upside, and so I'll go with that. But, I mean... Mata was super impressive last year as an 18-year-old in full-season ball. Um, so I definitely wouldn't begrudge anybody for putting him three. Yeah, and was he was part of the playoff run with Salem, right, when they won the championship? Did he? I don't remember. I feel like he was. I feel like he was on that list um, of, of pitchers that actually played. I think he lost in the playoffs um, with Salem, but... They did end up winning the championship, which was kind of a cool thing. And although no one really celebrates minor league champions championships, it's still pretty cool for, you know, the development of those guys to experience some winning down there. So, I thought that was a pretty cool moment this season. Brian, do you have any strong feelings on Hoke versus uh, Mata there? No, my only my only thought is, uh, you know, there is no such thing as a pitching prospect. You know, there's just such thing as like several pitching prospects and um you know there's more than one way to skin a cat and i i don't know enough about the guys uh specifically certainly by what you've said it seems to me like you think uh hauk is a better bet um given that you said there was a chance mata wouldn't make it at all and i think that showed your hand is that fair to say yeah i think that's that's fair to say i think with 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 Hulk you have just a, a higher floor uh a much higher floor there i think it's very easy to envision someone who could at least be a sixth seventh inning reliever at worst case scenario uh for him um and and with mata uh there's just there's so much more time in that development as well i think that uh Hulk's gonna get here before mata so um, there's that, and then the stuff plays up a little bit differently. So I, I think those are those are pretty key differences. Um, Matt, did you find out anything uh, on the the Salem Red Sox? I don't see Matas having stats down there. Um, are you thinking of 
Hernandez. Ah, uh, that's it. I'm thinking Darwinson. Darwinson. Hernandez. Yes, Darwinson. Yeah. Yes. So he made a couple starts down the stretch for those yeah, guys. Yeah, he he did pitch in Salem. I yeah. do remember that, although okay. I can't find those stats either. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's one, another interesting player, though. Yeah, I like Hernandez a lot. Um, he's got some command issues, so I mean that's pretty much the uh, what's going to hold him back. He was sixth on Baseball America's list which is another big surprise. He wasn't ranked at all on baseball prospectus. Yeah. So, I think um, interesting thing about the Red Sox system right now is they've had so many position player prospects in recent years, and it's kind of dominated by pitchers now. I mean, three of the top four, we have a clear top four, and then a lot of guys down in that middle – group are pitchers too so yeah i think that's pretty interesting it's a different farm system a big reason for that too not only has been uh the the players that dave dombrowski has drafted over the last couple years he's certainly favored pitchers but we saw a couple of the big draft bats um last year not play at all or very sparingly due to injuries in cj chatham the shortstop and bobby dahlbeck the third baseman so you know, it's fairly conceivable that if those guys get a full season, both of those players will be on this list next year. That is a good point. Um, anything else about the system before we move on to listener questions? Um, yeah, Marco Hernandez shouldn't have been ranked by Baseball America. I don't know why he was, and it's bothered me ever since. Is he's he not even there. prospect eligible? Is he? I don't think so. Yeah. No, he's not. Because BREF so, has him listed why. as no eligibility as of 2016. Yeah, I don't know why he was in there, but that's been bothering me, and I had to get it off my chest. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this is our first ever edition of listener questions on this show. Uh, we reached out to you guys on Twitter, and we were happy with uh, all the responses that we got. So we're going to go through a bunch of those real quick. Um, Don McDonald is the first one who gave us a question. He says, power rankings of the coldest hot stove seasons ever. Is this year number one? Uh, Brian, is this year number one? Oh, there's no – like, do you you can't – the only off-seasons you otherwise remember are really uh, ones where things happen. Um, this is far and away the exception to every other off-season I can remember. I don't remember other off-seasons, so I'm the wrong person to ask. I can't tell you what things happen in the same year as other things. and This yeah. definitely feels like the quietest that I can remember, I'll say that. That's that's a very uh, poker observation for you. I think you, you don't remember <laughs> all the other observations because you don't remember the good hands you win. You only remember your really bad beats. And this whole offseason has felt like a terrible bad beat the entire time. That's my two cents on that. <laughs> No, um, I feel like it's just, we've been folding cards the whole time. Yeah, everybody's waiting folded. for cards. We're just folding, 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 folding. Well, at least you get a gin and tonic when you're at the uh, the casino and you just sit there and fold hands. You still get drinks. So I haven't been getting any drinks this off season for free. So that's that's one negative. Uh, our next question comes from Stanley Scrimshaw. He says. Uh, we know the lineup is flawed, but do we have enough pitching? Kind of rely too much on Erod or anyone else not getting hurt. 
Um, what do you guys think about that? Matt, you just recently wrote a piece actually outlining the Red Sox position, uh, p- pitching depth and position player depth. Um, and I think your determination was they probably have enough to get through a year, but maybe they could add someone else. Yeah, I think people generally always underrate pitching depth. I think they kind of want like eight number three starters to fill out their rotation. So, I mean, they go through this every year, and I certainly wouldn't argue against some depth signings, but, I mean, they have... I mean, let's just go through the depth chart. Sale, Price, Porcello, Pomerantz, Wright, Rodriguez, Brian Johnson, Jalen Beeks, Hector Velasquez, Juanes Elias, Chandler Shepard, Justin Haley, um, maybe later in the year if everything goes right, Mike Schwarren, uh, Ronel Raudes. I mean, they have bodies, so um, this... I don't think is a major concern right now. And I don't think you need to add someone before spring training. Like the the type of arms that you'd be talking about that you would get um, if you are down to the Justin Haley's of the world, you can pick up at some point midseason. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at Doug Fisters or Kyle Kendricks. And, and when I say Doug Fister, I mean our perception of Doug Fister when he first came to the Red Sox, not what he ended up being. Yeah, not not the two year deal in Texas guy. Yeah, I mean Doug Fister was good last year. I'll give him. I love Doug that. Fister. That was not ex- was not expected. There was a point in the summertime. I don't know if you guys remember this, but where there was a legitimate argument going on whether or not Doug Fister would be in the playoff rotation. Uh, I'm pretty sure I argued for it at one point <laughs> or another. So yeah, I mean there was a point last spring where people wanted Kyle Kendrick to play a fairly prominent role on the opening day roster, so things get a little wacky sometimes. I mean, the action to uh, spring training stats, right? The answer to the question, Jake, is that yes, the Red Sox have enough pitching except for no, because no team always has enough pitching, but that's just because you're always like, they're in a position where they're fine to backfill if they need to, you know? I I totally agree with you guys. It's uh, it's always going to be an issue for teams. So our next one comes from uh, Bob, um, who has been uh, with the, the podcast for a while. So thank you, Bob. You're a longtime listener. Um, he says, why did you abandon the at Red Sox thought to the clutches of the spam bot, your old Twitter handle there, Matt? <laughs> um, he says that that handle deserved the better fate. And what was the deal with that? Why'd you get away from it? Um, because that account is the only thing that's no longer on that account are Red Sox thoughts. Um, I now run the Over the Monster account, so anything Red Sox related goes there. And my personal account is all of the other bullshit, weird thoughts that I have in my life. So So it's actually exclusively non-Red Sox thoughts Yeah, so I figured I should probably change that name because it wouldn't have made sense. All right, makes sense. Next question here comes from Will Wickwist, and he says, How are you Wally! I I know, I know, know I know what. I played basketball <laughs> with him when I went to D.C. Uh, a couple months ago. He's a – yeah, I know Wally. What's up, Wally? <laughs> nice. Small world. Uh, he says, how are you feeling about Christian Vasquez repeating his offensive performance? And uh, can we work on a nickname for him? So I'll give this no to you, nickname. Brian. No nickname. I wish, 
I wish he didn't ask this question because I, again, am doing a dynasty draft with people and maybe he'd be a, a sneaky buy. Um, because I don't know if he's going to be able to repeat his offense performance. I would guess probably not. But if he can hit it all, it would just be wonderful. And he, you know, he showed he's not. He showed definite competence um, and skill for someone who he's sort of like the the opposite of the uh, defensive catcher who the the catcher who they say is really good at calling a game um, because he can't hit because he's such a good defensive hitter. It might be easy to overlook that he can actually use the bat. I don't know. I I think there's room for growth. Let me put it or to or or to sustain what he's done. I don't see why regression would be um is necessarily going to happen even though of course it could. I'm going to hop in there real quick. I actually think that he could become like a very uh poor man's version of uh Yadier Molina. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. want to say that. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, you're never going to get power from him. You're never going to get, you know, market large gains in power. Um, I don't you could get well, a singles yeah. and doubles guy. I mean, well, with that's the ball the juiced, I guess we don't really know. But I, I think that he could be passable with the defense that he plays. And as for a nickname, I, I have no clue. I have no idea. No, no nicknames. Nicknames have to be organic. We can't just, like, brainstorm nicknames. That's so lame. He probably wants us to have one because he's got one. Well, well, right, exactly, but I don't think he sat down and said, oh, what, what should his nickname be? He was Wally. No, 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 he's Wally. I have no idea why he's Wally, but it's perfect. So nothing we come up with here is going to be perfect. Well, we just got to wait for it. It's also yes. perfect that Wally is a Red Sox fan, so there it is. Um, our next question comes from Otis Hart, and he says, if you guys want to dissect the dubious idea of trading peanuts for Miguel Cabrera if JD signs elsewhere – I'm up for a rational take. Oh, Brian, it's like he's been following us around, <laughs> uh, figuring out uh, which ridiculous ideas you're going to come up with next because you broached this idea to me, what, like two months ago, maybe three months ago or something like that? And I well, was having none ago. of it. it was during the baseball season. Yeah, yeah that was um, a while ago. Yeah, and it was, not, it was like halfway through. It was before... Um, Cabrera had finished the full season of futility. I'm, I mean, I can assure you it's not going to happen now. Give well, hold on. First of all, I don't think it should probably. I mean, he could bounce back, but he's problem is he's so slow at this point that um, there's no beating anything out. Um, not that he was ever fast, but uh, between injuries. And uh, the new economic landscape, I don't think that the Red Sox are going to do that. I, I don't. Is, uh, I don't think the Tigers would give him up for pennies either. He's like their guy. He's probably worth uh, more to selling tickets just on yeah. team value alone than he is to any other baseball team at this point. Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to get traded. Although stranger things have happened, but I would be very surprised. Yeah, I hate this idea as much as when Brian brought it up to me the first time, and I've actually never seen Brian backtrack from my idea as fast as he did from this one. Showing weakness, Brian. Showing weakness in your old age. Showing, 
<laughs> showing wisdom. Wisdom. That's right. I like that sure. better. Um, our next question comes from Adam Sell, and he says, do we still call it the Merloni Shuttle, or do we have a new name for it? Uh, I, I would prefer the new name for it be the uh, the Brock Holt Shuttle, and I think that they should start shuttling Brock Holt back and forth no. this year. No way Ramirez. No way Ramirez. Yeah, that's a he's, good one. I don't know why. He's the guy I think of when I think of going back and forth. He is that extra arm that just comes up yeah. and sucks. I, he's going to be a Red Sox forever. I know he's not currently with the team, but in spirit, he will always be in the Red Sox bullpen, waiting to throw in the 16th inning. It's got to be Merloni. I'm sorry. It. Uh, I don't. Uh, Merloni this, has like, too many bad takes. But, but, but Matt, I agree. I agree. But just as we said, we can't come up with a nickname. We got to wait for it to be replaced. That's fair. That's the fair. Merloni thing just works. It's perfect. Um, Man, some some very bad takes though. Yeah, he does have some bad takes, but uh, much much love to Merloni. I gotta gotta give him credit. He has uh, he he played. He's a local guy, so you know I uh, I like him. Um, next guy here, Corey he really, Surge. He really he really overcame a lot to be a local Boston uh, Red Sox play-by-play guy. You know what? Sometimes you just gotta stick to your guns, Brian. <laughs> Uh, Corey Surge says, will the Red Sox even play baseball this year? Uh, I'm going to take yes. this one. Yes, they will play baseball. And uh, now that we actually have the threat of a real work stoppage, uh, enjoy this because I cannot even fathom my life without a baseball season. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to I don't want to even go there. And I can't even imagine what Matt Collins' life would be years. like trying to write uh, during a lockout. Well, I'll be dead by that point. Don't worry. <laughs> All right, so so Brian C. says, Why are so many people dying to trade JBJ? The outfield defense was by far the most enjoyable part of last season. Uh, throwing that card out from home uh, from third, from home to third on a single to center field was mind-boggling. I'm going to go to you with this one, Matt, because uh, you were Two certainly things. the uh, biggest appreciator of his defense of, of probably anyone I know. Yeah, so two things here. Uh, first of all, the outfield defense was awesome, but Chris Sale was obviously the most enjoyable part of last season. Let's not go crazy. Um, people dying to trade Jackie Bradley are nutty. Um, I think there's a case for it if they brought in like Puig in a different deal or an outfielder who can play the position or next year sign Bryce Harper or something. I mean, there are scenarios where it makes sense to trade him, um, but to feel like you have to trade the guy is just, I I don't really understand. I mean, this guy is so much fun. You get the Afro pictures. You got the defense. He goes on streaks where he looks like Babe Ruth. I don't know why he's not, like, the most popular player on the team. I mean, I did say he should be people's favorite player two years ago but then i also said he was the most obvious trade shit which i think i think it's very easy to conflate people like being an being an obvious player who you could move players around if you remove jbj um but that doesn't mean you're dying to trade him so i think that there's there's a huge gap in there and when people who like him even hear you know, since on Twitter, you can hear a million opinions that you hate without even trying. Um, he associates hearing 10 people saying it with people dying to trade when it's just 10 people who are just, you know, mouthing off. I don't know. It seems like it's been a 
thing this offseason. I think the team does get frustrated, though, by his lack of offense for stretches at a time. Because I've never, not in my lifetime, can I remember a player that is more streaky than him. Like, as hot as he can get, he gets cold to the point where he looks like a player who just got called up from single A and is seeing off-speed pitches for the first time with, you know, any accuracy to them. Sure, but he shouldn't, and he, I mean, when this offense is going like it should, he's not close to the focal point, so you can kind of deal with those ebbs and flows when you're getting elite defense. Yeah, Yeah, Um, I agree. I mean, I think he's a net positive, and Chad Finn wrote an article this uh, past, I think it was a month ago now, uh, basically saying that he's the best defensive center fielder that has ever played in Boston. And I, I can't really find an argument against that. Like, Ellis Burks was good, but, I mean, there's nothing close to this. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely – baseball didn't count before 1998, so he's definitely the best of all time. Brian, would you uh, agree with that? Did Manny ever play center? <laughs> oh, God. I hope so. All right. I mean, if we're talking about right fielders, we got to throw Adrian Gonzalez into the mix. But. Oh, yeah. All right, we uh, we ought to get moving because we have a bunch more of these things to go. Um, <laughs> what are reasonable expectations for Carson Smith and Tyler Thornburg for next season? This question comes from Roy Richard. Uh, so Smith, I think, can be very good or good. I mean, I would think he's going to be a guy that you are – satisfied with in the eighth inning um i don't really want putting numbers on it because i don't know that seems like a fool's errand but i think that's a fair expectation for smith um i don't think there are any fair expectations for thornberg um the injury he's coming back from has wreaked havoc on players for a long time uh matt harvey's probably the most famous one so there are a few who have come back but i would say anything above average you get from Thornberg is probably going to be a nice little gift. And that's thoracic outlet syndrome that you're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to put throw out a bold prediction for Carson Smith. I'm going to actually go out on a limb and say that he is going to be under a 3-3-0 ERA for next year out of the bullpen. Uh, okay. I don't think that's super bold. That's I don't I don't think it's super bold either, buddy. But but I I admit your boldness to put it out there. Right. Yeah, Still it's early. bolder than I. <laughs> um, next question comes from Dave Latham. He says, does Dever stay at third base, or does his defense make him go to a different position? Uh, I'm going to tackle this one real quick. Uh, Devers definitely has the defensive chops to stay at third base, at least for, I don't know, three or four, five years, maybe even more than that. Uh, he's got a lot of work to do there, but he has the raw skills to stay at the position. So it's always conceivable that they can move him to first base if he continues not to make any improvements. But uh, I think that's pretty pretty well a lock that he's going to stay there for a while. Uh, guys, do you want to weigh in on that at all? I agree. Okay. Uh, next question comes from Lee Waterhouse, and he says, uh, why haven't they made any moves to address pitching depth? We already talked about that, Lee. And the next question he has is, do you think Price will have a bounce-back year? Uh, Brian, what do you think? Bounce-back from Price? 
if he can figure out how to stop throwing the giving up a home run pitch. No, I think it'll be a. I think it'll be sort of halfway between his first two years. I think it'll be, but it might be a little bit better. But I think you know what you're getting with David Price at this point. I think. Matt, I don't know what we're bouncing back from. I mean, if it's asking if he's going to stay healthy, I sure hope so. But if he is, I think he's going to be good. I really, I mean, he was obviously awesome out of the bullpen. And even before he got hurt, he was really starting to roll in the rotation before he went down again. So I have no idea if his elbow is going to hold up, but as long as it does, I have no reason to expect anything other than a very good number two starter behind Sale. He was so filthy out of the rotation, out of the uh, bullpen too in the playoffs. Like you said, it was just, that's the lasting memory I've carried with me through. Yeah, that was sick. Through the winter, and he was just such a weapon. Um, so it, the guy's capable of ridiculous things. Um, next question here comes from Nathan Daniels, and we probably only have time for about two more of these. And if we didn't get to you, we will get to you next week. Um, he says, which young arm is most likely to make the jump to the bullpen for good this season? Um, Matt, what do you think? Oh, I misinterpreted this question when I first read it. Uh, what? Probably Beaks, right? Make yeah. The, make the jump from the... I'm assuming he's talking about making the jump from the rotation to the bullpen, and I think we always yeah. talk about Beaks having that electric bullpen arm. I kind of... I'll say Mike Schworn. Okay. I think... I don't know. I like Beaks. I think he's going to be a starter. When I first read this question, I thought it was asking which young reliever is going to come up and kind of be Austin Maddox, so I'm definitely not prepared for this question. So Mike Schwarren is my unprepared answer. Mike Schwarren, good stuff, doesn't always find the strike zone, so I think that that's a, as good bet as any. Um, all right, Brian, I'm going to give you this question from a uh, listener called Royal Ass Badger, uh, which is just uh, an amazing Twitter handle. Um, he says, why not sign Martinez and you, Darvish? Brian, why not? I'm not going to tell you not to. <laughs> I like it. I don't care about you know say, I don't care about luxury tax. I don't care about all that. If the question is very simply, why not sign J.D. Martinez and you, Darvish? I, thought, I don't know. Why? They're great at baseball. Sign them. All right. Well, I, like it. I, I agree with you. We only have a few more of these, so I guess let's get to them all today. Um, the next one uh, is a repeat. <laughs> Go to the last three. The last three are the, the interesting ones. The last three. Okay. Um, all right. So we have another one from Stanley Scrimshaw. He says, is Mitch Moreland the face oh, of the team now? This is my now, favorite question. Or is he tough enough for that role? Am I missing an inside joke here? I... Where did this question yeah, come Yeah, I don't from? even know what's up with this. It's fantastic. I don't... It's the it's, best. It's the best. It's great. Yes. Is the answer is enough? yes to both. Yes, of course. <laughs> that he is tough enough and he is the face of the team. Absolutely, of course, Dude, Mitch Marlin is the face no. of the team. Uh, it's just really bizarre. I, I, whatever. I, I, uh, I don't know. Yeah, he played with a broken toe. He's a super tough. Dude. I, I really thought I was missing some sort of joke when I saw that question. <laughs> but I'm glad. No, I wasn't. Uh, next one comes from Santiago Aragon, and he says, "Have you dealt with the hole that Dubon left in your life?" Matt, um, that is certainly for you. I, I haven't. That's 
That's all I have to say on that. Matt. That's not true, Matt. I saw you deal with that whole uh, like two weeks ago when you drafted him in our fantasy league. Yeah, I own him. In, I play in two dynasty leagues, and I own him in both. <laughs> and I will never drop him. The greatest day of my life was um, him responding to me on Twitter without me even having to um, at him. He just, I responded in agony to the news he was being traded, and he just knew what I was talking about. That was, <laughs> I'll, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> so to, to answer your question fully, he has never left Matt's life and will never leave Matt's life. So there I'm, is... he's going to, he's going to play in the majors this year. And oh, I am definitely. so excited for that day. <laughs> Will you buy the uh, the Mauricio Dubon jersey? Oh, I mean, I'm not going to get it custom made because I'm poor. But <laughs> when they come out with the generic one, absolutely. All right. We might just have to get you that as a podcast gift, anyhow. Um, I'm not above. <laughs> uh, last question here comes from Let's John. Let's get him a Red Sox one just to see him cry. Oh, no. I don't <laughs> want to do that to him. He's our, he's our fearless leader over here. That's just... <laughs> Um, last question of the day comes from John Francis, and he says, "What the hell do you have against Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore?" Uh, uh, that one's from too. How much time do you have? Yeah. So <laughs> the other day, um, MLB Twitter put a poll up about the best baseball movies, and they had a picture from Fever Pitch as like their Twitter picture for the poll, and I laughed and responded by saying that Fever Pitch is an aggressively bad movie. And a lot of people got mad at me for it. So I just want to say that Fever Pitch is bad. And if you like it, that's cool. I like bad things too, but just know that it's bad. Uh, I've never seen Fever, Fever Pitch. And I know that that makes don't. me a complete anomaly amongst Red Sox fans, but I have you no don't interest have. in seeing it. Not good. Yeah. All right. Well, as, as long as that's that's that. Um, all right. The only just... the only thing it has going for it has nothing going for it. The only thing it sort of has going for it is they filmed it in 2004, so they got a lot of coincidence, you know. Yeah, they got really that, lucky. Well, yeah, it actually sort of – I remember even at the time people were happening like, yeah, this is great, but Jimmy Fallon's on the field. That's bad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, it's terrible, and it's – if you like Drew Barrymore, just see literally any other movie. It's the exact same. I will say that the best thing Drew Barrymore that I remember her in is – uh, the Wedding Singer, and what I like about Jimmy Fallon is his lip syncing. But other than that, I could really, you know, not care too much about either of those two people. Sure, they're fine people, yeah. but they made a bad movie together. They did. All right, well, that closes out the show. Um, little housekeeping here. Uh, if you would like to, you can subscribe to the show. We would like that. Uh, we like doing the show, and we like you to like it. So subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, Stitcher, anywhere you can download podcasts, Google Play, anything like that. Um, and you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow me at, at DevJake. You can follow Matt at, at MattRYCollins. And you can follow Brian at, at BrianJoyner, Brian with a Y. Uh, we will be with you over the next couple weeks. Hopefully we will have something to talk about. Um, and until then, uh, we'll see you later. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you.